2: Before this episode of the Final Word Podcast, another quick update from our friends at BrickLane Brewing. We are grateful for BrickLane's support through the weekly episode, Storytime. Did you hear Daniel Norcross's wild 904 Triumph? Are you kidding me? Start with Storytime 59 and then follow it up with Storytime 60. Totally worth it. And also, the daily episodes. Adam and Jeff have been super busy. You can find all of those, the daily episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can watch them on the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel. There are currently 23,000 subscribers. We'd love to get that to 25,000. So if you are not a subscriber to the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel, please stop by, check it out, and if you like it, subscribe. And then you'll never miss a video. In Cricket, there are great partnerships. Podcasting is no different. It's the partnership between the show, Adam and Jeff, the sponsor, Brick Lane Brewing, and you, the listener. I'd use your name, but I don't know who you are. But thank you. In addition to subscribing to the YouTube channel, please check out Brick Lane Brewing on Instagram and Facebook. Say hello and tell them the final word sent you. You can order all your Brick Lane favorites at bricklanebrewing.com. It's a super easy way to get your hands on all of the various brews. Brick Lane Brewing, based and brewed in Melbourne, Australia. Great city, great beer. Thank you, Brick Lane Brewing, for being part of the final word. And as always, thank you for listening. That's enough from me. Now, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, and the final word.
1: I had to go about it
3: this is the final word cricket podcast coming to you from adelaide and adelaide nowhere else chef lemon adam collins we're adelaide. in the same room We're at Adelaide Oval. We are in the same room. We're looking out at the new pitch that Damien Huff has unveiled for another day-night test match. And for the first time in about a year, we are together. Together at last.
1: Reunited. This was the day last year when I was let out of hotel quarantine and came straight from Perth to Adelaide. It's such a better experience recording in the same room as you or anyone you're working with in a podcast. But this with you. Because we can kind of riff off each other we can interrupt each other yeah. impossible to do on zoom without it turning into a complete shit show but yeah we had the great fortune of uh, turning out at the adelaide university uni bar last night mm-hmm. for our live show which was loads of fun making the case that this ground here is the best australian ashes venue i think we made a decent fist of that, mm-hmm. and then Stephen Finn was a superb guest. So thank you to all of the Final Word listeners that uh, bought tickets and came along to that. It was so great to see a lot of friendly faces and have a couple of beers with with those that stuck around afterwards. It was a great venue, beautiful there on the River Torrens, and yeah, set up the week I reckon.
3: And and you know we had this massive stage with a drum kit and several couches. And I, I think we should have moved around the stage more. You like yeah. done each segment in a, on a different set of couches. <laughs> um, and but yeah, it felt like you know big foldbacks, big amps. Obviously they get some bands in there and and cram the place out with a few hundred people. So, um, it was, it was quite a, quite a special venue. We had a, had a good
1: night. Stephen Finn had a good gallop. I said as soon as he started talking, we've got a live one here. And all I meant by that is that he was going to he was gonna say what he thought. Because, yeah. you know, like, you never really are sure mm-hmm. when you're bringing someone up on stage to talk about their life's work. And that's mm-hmm. really what it is that interview. Yep. And um, their lives. I and mean, it's not just
3: their work, but the personal
1: investment in it. Yeah. You know, and, and and in someone like Finney, there is some pretty. Like, there's some low bits and you can't avoid them. And you got to ask, and, and he came out there ready to play. Uh, there was mm-hmm. no sense that he was going to be reserved or, or anything like that. So mm-hmm. that was really cool. Of course, uh, before we move off live shows, I should remind everybody that we have another one coming up on the 12th of January uh, at the Seafarers in Melbourne. We will have one on the 4th of January. I wish I could tell you where it's going to be. Uh, that hasn't been communicated to us yet, but <laughs> there will be one on the 4th of January in Sydney. And once we know what well, the venue Even if it's is,
3: just us sitting in Moore Park,
1: It could be. Know. <laughs> it could come um, to that
3: underneath a fig tree <laughs> with a slab um, of brick lanes with, by our side. Yes. <laughs> a couple that will be each be sitting on a case of brick lanes and, and handing them out to whoever arrives. Yeah, as we sit under the the Morton Bay fig trees, I only noticed in lockdown um, in Melbourne because I was around the Carlton area that there are Morton Bay figs in Princess Park. I'd never noticed them before. How would I not? T- so I've obviously walked through that park thousands of times
1: in my life. I've only just, really noticed the palm trees in Princess Park because yeah, when I was a kid, incongruous. Well, when I was a kid that before they built the legend stand, mm. the, the palm trees were quite visible over the standing room section, so mm-hmm. you could kind of see it on all the replays. And, yeah, it, it's a visceral memory for me going to that ground a lot as a little kid. Yeah, uh, and that it, it seems like a place, you're in
3: Carlton and there are palm trees, and you think, these belong to warm, exotic, faraway places like St Kilda. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Middle Park. Down at the Esplanade, <laughs> where,
3: where the palm trees sway in the, the secret life of us opening credits. We,
1: we've, been, we, we've been walking through there quite a bit. Um, we stayed not... A long way from St Kilda last week during the Brisbane Test match and went down there a few times with Rach and, and Winnie and Rach last year when we were preparing to do Hates All Quarantine I said look we're going to Australia. Yes, it's going to be tough for the first two weeks, but let's get ourselves in the in the right mindset. Mm-hmm. I'm going to show you a little TV show called The Secret Life of Us. <laughs> so we watched season one. Um, with, so uh, with Motor Race on yeah, the, on oh, the yeah, well, credits. Oh, man. Motor Race's um, <laughs> debut album, um, Five Star Laundry, one of the great Australian albums. And we w- w- last week when walking through, I'm like, ah, this is the park where they would mm-hmm. organically gather to play games of football with each other. Yeah. And they I think I was and... vaguely impressed by this. Like, oh, yeah. that's that place. I'm like, yeah, uh-huh. it is. It really is. Yep. Um, that's where,
3: you know, this, this was where Samuel Johnson, later the voice of the Hungry Jacks ads,
1: had <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot to say about whoppers in a very sensual sort yeah, of tone. this is um, where Joel Edgerton had put in a fine performance as goalkeeper. Yeah. Uh, and all the rest of it. So, no, that, that was. Um, Wasn't he
3: adorable, young Joel Edgerton? He well, he looks like very different puppy. between,
1: I, I learnt, he looks very different between the pilot, mm. which, sorry, we're down the wormhole. We might as well go the whole way. The pilot, which was like a two part special that they showed mm-hmm. to them in the Big Brother house. At the time, because it was the first season of Big Brother, which ah, you remember so it was a big time Channel okay. Ten crossover. So everyone was like waiting to like watch this Tony program Greg
3: to talk about like the new season of the Block, or whatever it was. <laughs> uh, oh yes, can't can't wait for this. There'll be some uh, some great renovation Ford stories. To, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't hold a grudge, Bill. <laughs> you know, yeah. Was, okay, so between the pilot and the he, he looks about ten years older because okay. they filmed
1: the pilot, and then obviously they made the series much later on, and mm. Joel Edgerton's kind of gone through puberty between one and the next. <laughs> Um, and, then, yeah. and boy did he go through it well, he's a hirsute man these days then, then what he went
3: through between Secret Life of Us and say Animal Kingdom or yes. whatever <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's like this adorable little sort of puppy child in in Secret Life with his little buzzed sort of blonde hair and he's getting around in his blueies and pretending to be a tradie and the next thing you know he's just Shooting blokes in the bush. <laughs> just, just the
1: other th- holes for bodies. The other thing I had to do yesterday was uh, reunite uh, Winnie with Uncle Jeff. Uncle Jeff. Uncle Jeff. She's seen you through the Zoom screen for the last uh, for the last eleven months. But yes. She enjoyed that, and and I'll have you know, she was asking after you this morning when she yeah. woke up as well. So uh, she woke me up at about quarter seven this morning, um, which wasn't a huge number of hours after I went to bed, um, <laughs> given it was the live show last night. So uh, she's in fine spirits, and it was nice to see you two reunited
3: as well. Well. It's nice to see her being so enormous. She's, you know, standing up and moving around and saying words and being a whole sort of human being now. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I'm looking forward to the next few weeks.
1: Oh, yeah, and before moving off uh, the live show last night, uh, we met, um, I said we met a number of the, the Final Word crew that stuck around, but um, great to meet Thomas Miles, who's been a regular correspondent of ours, I guess, over two or three years now, something like that. Jeff, uh, he was there, Nick was there, a number of other guys who've, who've been listening to the show for a long time, but it's so nice putting faces to names and that kind of thing. Uh,
3: the most linguistically uh, tight (laughs) <laughs> Correspondent we have on that particular platform, so uh, go well, Thomas.
1: Jeff, I think we should uh, rather speedily get into the work of the show, which yep. for us today is going to be. Oh, there's, there's a little random
3: thing I wanted to throw in here. Oh, okay, okay. So I know that in the last few weeks, I'm sure that a couple of times it's come up where we've mentioned, you know, Curtis Patterson not being in the frame, and and we've talked about him as the new Andy Gantome. Yes, you know the. Uh, I did the, that on SEN you know, last week. I couldn't help myself. Yeah, the, the, oh. now the highest average in in the history of Test cricket at 144 and looking less and less likely to get the opportunity to bring that down um, to a, a less sort of standout level. But uh, I did want to throw in the name of Chamani Senevaratna, who played one Test for the Sri Lankan women's team in 1998 mm. and actually holds the record. Average is 148. Topping Curtis Patterson's 144.
1: H- hang on. She, w- she made 100 on debut at number eight? Yes. So... In the live show last night, I (laughs) spent about a quarter of an hour talking about Roger Hartigan Uh and his extraordinary century on debut here alongside Clem Hill in 1908. And you're saying that... And I declared, without necessarily checking it, but Uh kind of remembering that he was the only man to make a century on debut from eight, but... A woman has done it and and topped him in the process. And
3: topped the averages all time because she she was batting at eight. They were playing Pakistan. She made 43 in the first innings, um, almost top scored, one of the top scores. Didn't get a promotion in the second dig, still at eight. And absolutely top scores, 100 and, 105 not out, as they set a big lead, and they bowl out Pakistan to win the Test match. She never played another Test, but she has the highest did, average did in all play Test cricket she other
1: games for she played limited overs cricket?
3: games, yeah, yeah, but she yeah, they only ever got to play that one Test match. So. Oh, I'm
1: glad we know. So I'm going to... 148. Shamari Senavaratna joins Roger Hartigan mm-hmm. as <laughs> Test Centurions, the first time of asking, batting at number eight. I'm, I'm glad I know that now.
3: <laughs> yep. I just I thought it, it had to be put in... Now that I'd figured it out. All right, given we're at Adelaide Oval, middle of the Ashes, uh, we're doing some podcast work with The Guardian, so we thought who better to get on to talk about England particularly and where they're at in relation to Australia? But uh, The Guardian's cricket correspondent, Ellie Martin. Well, you may have heard about a little thing called the Ashes. We've mentioned it once or twice on the show over the last few weeks. Uh, very glad to be joined
0: on the final word by Ellie Martin of The Guardian. Welcome. Thank you, Jeff. Good to see you both. And uh, oh, my microphone is slipping immediately off my head at that point. So, yep. uh, symbolic start. Yeah, it's good to
3: start smoothly, um, as per, you know, symbolically, that was that, was <laughs> yeah, that, England's was, that was, tour. That was very much England starts to the tour, yeah. <laughs> cho- cho- choosing, making the wrong choices early <laughs> and then paying for We, we had a plan, <laughs> it didn't work out. We stuck to the plan anyway <laughs> yeah. and now we're going to come up with another plan um, I, I did I can't remember whose uh, perspicacious comment it was but maybe it was Rory Dollard who said that England are always trying to win the test after the one that they're about
0: to play mm. um, that feels about right having seen the way things went in Brisbane I think so I'm looking uh, I, I mean obviously we're, we're speaking here before England have, have named even a, even a 12 for this second test match um, but the kind of the feeling I have even looking at that pitch out there is that England will go five bowlers Um, A week after they should have gone... uh, Sorry, five seamers. A week after they should have gone five seamers Mm. in Brisbane and probably bowled first. But, um, yeah, this is the England uh, England Brains Trust at the moment which get pretty scrambled. And they get even more scrambled when it comes to pink ball cricket.
1: I suppose they could say, well, we just lost 100% of our match fee and five World Test Championship points. If we play four quicks plus Stokes, we will lose another five World Test Championship points. We will lose another probably 100% of our match fee but do we really give a fuck if we're a better chance of winning sod the over eight thing we'll just do it our way given five points I know that Australia missed out on the final this time around because of it but that was such a freakish set of circumstances to miss out by a a fraction of a percent it's unlikely that five or ten points would be the difference either way. Now we're in the percentage model in, in cycle two anyway. Uh, you know, on that basis, I don't think it would come into consideration. They're probably thinking more around, can they risk Jack Leach getting belted again?
0: No, quite. And actually, just looking at that the, 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 the match fee fine that they got, well, all those guys are on central contracts apart from Hasib Hamid. So I think it's actually, you know, it's the poor opening oh. batsman who's probably been stung the most in terms of that fine. Yeah. They'll pick up the tab. The I
3: hundred percent. So you're saying they went to Brisbane and played that humiliating match for free?
1: They they lost 100% of their match fee for. And I love this by the way. They were 14 overs short on day two. Sorry to talk about overrates again, but they said it was five overs over the allotted. Over eight, or however they frame it up. So five overs equals, you know, five times 20%, 100%. What if they said they were seven overs over? Were they going to dock them 20, uh, 40% for the, yeah. for the next match? I, That's I, a good
0: point. I, yeah, I don't, know. I don't know what David Boone's maths are like. <laughs> but, um, uh, but 51, yeah. 51, 52 <laughs> comes yeah. to <after> 51. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it, it, I mean, it... it It probably shouldn't be a consideration. I wouldn't have thought, but you'd like to think that that, the seamers, even an all-seam attack, can get through fifteen overs in an hour. And I probably, I think you probably got. I'll give them a little bit of a pass in terms of their lack of preparation, being a bit, probably a bit leggy in the field. You know, not probably as as acclimatized to the Queensland heat as they might have wished to have been, given that they're pretty much, you know, living in a a sort of rainstorm for, for two weeks leading into that. Maybe I'm being generous there, but yeah, I think they should be able to pick up their heels regardless of the attack they pick. Essentially. England's issue at the moment, and it's been an issue for two years, or you could even argue for, it's been an issue since the retirement of Graham Swan, and that Moen Alley really just, you know, was papering over the cracks for a long um, period of time in in the unique way that he did. But the problem they've got is that they don't know whether to pick uh, the most balanced and varied attack, or whether to pick their best bowlers. And for England, that's two different things because um, clearly yeah. they they have such. I don't want to go overboard, but clearly their depth is in the seam department, right? And 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 you've got to ask yourself the question: if Stuart Broad misses out in a Test match to play Jack Leach, does that more balance attack? And you, and you then see Jack Leach get belted for you know the fastest Ashes gallon in history, you know I think he beat he beat Travis Head to his hundred by about twelve balls, oh. didn't he? So, <laughs> um, you've got to ask whether the the benefits of that you know well clearly there are are very few benefits to that Mm. but just in theory when you're lining up your team you've got to ask yourself do do we pick up do we pick our best bowlers here? The one caveat I'd say is that were England to have battered better, and again, it seems ridiculous we even talk about England's bowling mm. in Brisbane when, when they ultimately flunked the test uh, with the That's bat. That's what I was about to ask yeah, you. Yeah. Like we,
3: we, and it seems like every time England plays, there's all of this discussion about the bowling attack and mm. who should have been picked. But if you get bowled out for 147, it doesn't matter if you pick Stuart Broad or not. And yeah, they should have. Bouncy pitch, good record, you know, bouncy sort of bowler, probably better than Chris Wokes in the conditions, even if you wanted the other spinner. But they don't have any batting. Like, no. You can't win Test matches if you can't make like, runs.
0: No, and actually, if they batted better, they could have turned that into a first innings versus fourth innings mm. kind of game. Yeah. And with that, and the way that we saw the, invari- you know, I mean, he doesn't, Jack Leach doesn't get the overspin of Nathan Lyon, but you'd like to think that, you know, going into day four or day five, even with just 200 on the board, that actually a little bit of the sort of natural variation that you'd get from that mm. pitch at that point of the game um, would have assisted him. And and we probably shouldn't judge him on that on that gallon that he got in the. First- things because that was particularly tough also Joe Root admitted himself but they were it wasn't the smartest fields that he mm. set for Jack Leach then you know he had he had the all the, the fielders up and he was almost he was just almost begging for Jack Leach to be hit yeah. <laughs> by well, by Marnus and well, David Warner
3: he was Orton. basically he was dice rolling mm. to, to try to get a wicket but the uh, the person losing in the pit was Jack Leach. Yeah, he was gambling with someone else's <laughs> money.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. So that's that's where England are at. And also, you mentioned it there, but Chris Wokes. Yes, possibly Stuart Broad might have offered more with the ball. Chris Wokes is probably a bit more improved with the cricket in the last couple of years, I think, than is given credit for. And his, his numbers are not great because of all his the, the back catalogue from from yesteryear. Yeah. But the issue England also will have is that they will have a ridiculously long tail, uh, were you to leave out Chris Wokes because yeah. he's probably the only Sort of qualified number eight in the squad. I well, was, apart yeah. from
1: maybe simply Don Bess, better mm. than all the rest of the number eights going around. Remember I mean, when he... it was
0: works should bat three? Who,
1: who was running that? Me. Yeah, most uh, technically correct player. Uh, no, in it the wasn't England's just court. me. I think Agus was going that yeah. line as yeah. the time. It was. It was due to the fact that I don't remember which series it was, but at the time it made sense. Yeah, England it was one of those ones three. where well, it might have been an opening you even. You wanted Ro- you wanted Root to get back to four.
0: Yeah, that's right. I wanted three. I wanted Root to bat four. Thus, well, the guy about the about number three in a World Cup match. it was was the most most alpha play, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was when when Root got injured. He I can think, hold a bat. Although I would say here in Australia against the Australian seam attack, Chris Wokes is actually probably less effective as a batsman. Mm. I yeah. think you know. I think he. Um, I don't want to sort of question his sort of fortitude. Whenever you talk about guys against the short ball, it becomes a question of character, doesn't yeah. it? it becomes, you know. And I don't, I don't like going down that road. You don't He's, want to
1: call Ollie Robinson a soft cock for backing away last week. However, no,
0: you will. However, yeah. well, however, both are clearly m- more uncomfortable against the Australian attack on these pitches yeah. than they would be at home, for Which example. It's the extra 20 centimetres of bounce, or whatever it is, that you get, yeah. certainly at a place like the Gabba. So, in conclusion, uh, England's have got serious headaches. Yes. I just I know, <laughs> Jeff,
1: you made the point before, and notwithstanding that point, that it's really a, a conversation around England's batting, not bowling. I do want to back over the Don Bess point. Don Bess, four left handers is a better option with the bat uh, than Jack Leach and did take wickets last week in, in the Lions game. Mm. I mean, I've been arguing uphill down Dale for Matt Parkinson, mm. but it's not going to happen. No, I know it's you're a Ma- home and, and I know you're a Mason Crane fan. I mean, we I think we share mm-hmm. the same view, but it, yeah, yeah. you know, but uh, the, the wrist spin is likely to be more effective than, than than finger spin, but the fact that Australia do have four left-handers and Bess has played quite a lot of test cricket more test cricket than Jack Leach in the last two years I'd hazard, mm-hmm. hazard a guess in saying that he might be the guy drafted in and the fact that at test level mm. he has been quite competent as a lower order batsman but isn't he being sent home are they sending all the Lions players back
0: well, Best, best, best any is any officially odds? in the squad so so Bess
1: is Crain and Parkinson are in the squad Best is, so yeah, yeah, so is, is, right. is formerly number two Mm. So on that basis, a chance here at Adelaide, do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not beyond the realms. And there is one, you know, England have got one final training session this evening, so it's pretty tricky to talk about selection. And obviously that's going to be, Yeah. maybe this will be listened to after, after people know the... Uh that's okay. okay. We
1: always do this. We always Time record trouble. these. So this is
0: the madness of touring in Australia generally for me. I'm constantly thinking about a newspaper that's coming out 24 hours hence <laughs> and therefore <laughs> you, you, you don't want to commit to anything looking ahead. Yeah. It's just a complete reflection backwards that, that dates very quickly. And, Can and you write
3: a column that just has both options in it <laughs> and, and just give some, some liquid paper, some whiteout with <laughs> the newspaper and ask people to apply it
0: accordingly? Do you know what? That's That would probably be a lot simpler than what I'm currently doing, which is twisting myself into all sorts of awful places, Trying to write previews, the um, subjunctive tense. Getting yeah, your work out, oh man. When, when is
1: your print deadline? I mean, if you wanted to push things and wake up the following morning to file, when would you need to have your copy in by? Uh,
0: I probably need to get up at about 6, six, six a.m. seven a.m. So you to, get
1: done over. When we're in England, we can file till about ten or eleven a.m. Yeah, I reckon it is. It works is.
0: better. It works much better the other day, the yeah. other way. And I, I was just talking to Pete Lawler from the Australian about this the other day. He's, he's saying that you know, on a, on an Ashes tour in the UK, he he leave the bulk of his work till the morning. And, um, you know, and that makes total sense because, yeah. you, you know, you, you're able to sort of reflect a bit more on what's happened, mm. but also you, your mind is more in, you know, in the moment for when that newspaper is going to be read as opposed yeah. to, the, as I say, the madness of working. If anyone's so gone to a eyes. nightclub
3: overnight and punched someone out, then you know, you'll know you be able to get that in the paper. Mm.
1: Yeah, well you can go with that general easy, breezy way of writing if you have been out to a nightclub yourself all night. then we <laughs> back it up. <laughs> <laughs> good, I, good, good afternoon to Chris Barrett if he's listening. Yeah. Uh, we've gone uh, on a tangent uh, here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, okay, so we, we've resolved that, or not really. It's the fact they haven't. And we've watched
3: this happening. They haven't developed a spinner after spending the whole English summer not playing one, after botching the management of their spinners in India and Sri Lanka where they had Leach and Bess and Mo all sort of rotating around in weird configurations. Mm. There there hasn't been someone developed. And you've talked about Parkinson and he's someone who hasn't been brought in when surely there were opportunities to bring him in. And, and see how he went. I think. Yeah. He's not a kid. Just
1: jumping in on that. He's not a kid on anymore either. Parkinson. I think he suffered a bit from. Oh, he's just a kid in development mode. He's 25. I mean, it's not. A, he doesn't need to be dealt with kid gloves anymore. And he's averaged 19 and 20 in his
0: last three first-class seasons. I mean, mm. this kid can bowl. See, he, yeah, he can. Uh, but the thing is with Parkinson, he's been round, He's been part of the England setup for a good while. Like, mm. You know, they, they've had him in the nets. But I think one of the problems, and this might be English spin, might be a victim of the fact. Of how good Joe Root is as a batsman against spin. Mm-hmm. Because he's the guy making the assessment in the nets when he's facing these guys, right? right. But because he plays spin so yeah. easily, uh, maybe his maybe his view of spinners is diminished as a result. Right. That, like, I know Mark, I sorry, with sorry, that's that has just popped in my head as a theory. No, yeah, but, it's you know, it's, it's okay. not a
1: bad comparison. Well, Mark Wall never rated off spinners because he used to clout mm. off spinners, and to this day on commentary, he basically his approach to any finger spinner is fucking smash him. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> because that's what he would do against finger spin. Maybe there's something there. Yeah, there, there could, could be, be something. there. Column An- right.
0: Another another thing, and and England have been talking about this Ashes series for two years, right? And mm-hmm. and and it's interesting because the media, the media in inverted comments, the media always gets blamed for mm. the narrative, the Ashes narrative. But genuinely, hand on heart, that that has been driven by the England team for two years. They've talked, they they've justified rotation, rest and mm. rotation. They've justified various selections, all on the basis that they're trying to build something towards this tour. Mm. Yeah. Uh, well, they're using this tour as preparation for the next Australian well- <laughs> tour. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. So, um so so that being the uh, so sorry, just to go back to that. So one of the one of the sort of tenets of, of Silverwood's sort of plan for this series was that he didn't want any player coming into it making a test debut. So he wanted to get experience into guys but essentially what we've had is two wasted years in the spin department because Jack Leach played the Ashes series in 2019 did all right and look if he hasn't if he doesn't overstep at Old Trafford and yeah. I don't know you know he shouldn't overstep so that's a kind of but but that is a, there is a potentially a different outcome there mm. and his heroics could go Beyond getting one not out at Headingley yeah. right? But he, but ultimately he came out of that series in credit. He was everything. He got. He took. I can't remember how many wickets he took, but he was taking them at twenty four, and he was keeping the runs down. They completely lost faith in him that winter when they when they went to New Zealand. They ended up playing five quicks on a dead pitch in Hamilton, and thereafter the following summer they, it was it was Don Best, and they, they you know they gave him mm. the entire summer based on the hope that yeah he can hold his own at number eight. He's a kind of sparky character. He's a brilliant fielder, I must say. Yeah, but he really got exposed when they went to India I mean that was it was in the space of one test match he 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 broke open that Chennai test match with four wickets in the first innings but by the end of the game he 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 was struggling to get it on the cut strip and you could see Cheetan Patel the spin coach with his head in his hands and then this summer no Ben Stokes uh you know for the sort of well-documented reasons mental health and also that finger injury and without that they they just felt that they couldn't have a long tail now I've what's kind of bizarre or ironic is that they, they may even go into this second test match with, a radic- with the kind of tail that they wouldn't have countenanced during the summer as a result of that. And that's kind of, as I say, it, English cricket's relationship with spin bowling has been a strange one. I, I, Duncan Fletcher actually played a big part in it. And this isn't to denigrate Duncan Fletcher because he was a, an incredible coach, but he, his theory, and, I, and again, I think there's something in this, that in England your spinner has to really be able to hold a bat because their contribution of the match will only come in days four or five etc they might have a holding role to do but you need a competent number 8 there so that you've got a player for the entire game matt parkinson for, for all his talents and the same goes for mason crane who you said you know who I kind of I they're very close in my eyes as the two english leg spinners english cricket struggles to have those kind of players in the team in the they it feels like english cricket can't wait for days four and five for that, for that player to come into the game, right? Um, and, and neither of them offer enough with the bat. No, and I, I, and there is a there is a parallel universe where Adil mm. Rashid has played a lot more Test cricket. Yeah. He's had the he's had the backing of his captain, and he is a more all round cricketer. And for whatever reason, I'd say just a, a lack of faith, a lack of understanding, a lack of compassion when it comes to leg spin at times, is that he's you know drifted into white ball specialism, uh, and that that uh, you know because at his age, early thirties. He should be now blossoming, you know, into the into a test cricketer that he should be. Instead, we're kind of looking at guys like Don Bess, you know, and we're kind of crossing fingers that that they can go out there and perform. Uh, Jack Leach again. It's just it's such a frustration this lack of faith in in English spinners. England have not been able to commit to someone back them and give them time and give them time to, to make mistakes as well.
1: Yeah, it's kind of bizarre to think that Adil Rashid had his last run at test level after he formally became a full-time white ball player. He didn't yeah. take a red ball contract at Yorkshire uh, and then played in that 2018 series against India on, on Ed Smith's a recommendation. Just uh, changing direction a bit. Uh, Chris Silverwood said after the first Test match in a comment that's been pilloried. Really, uh, they prepared to lose a wicket first ball of the match, first ball of the series. <laughs> I mean, as su- go on. Yeah, I suppose even if you have, even if you have prepared to do that, probably don't tell the world's media. But can, well, and what, can I just add into
3: that? I mean, that, that was brought up in the press conference today, and Patrick Cummins, bless him, he didn't say anything that could be taken out of context, but he did just burst into the most brilliant, dazzling smile when they said, you know, someone asked him, are you, you know, were you planning, do you plan for things like that? And he was just like, <laughs> uh, no, I'm, but I'm just going to be very diplomatic. But, yeah. yeah. the, the, the well, smile suppose, was not- yeah,
1: but This to me, like, it's one of those things that if you're sitting in a boardroom or a conference room, you know, three months out from the ashes on a, on a team bonding camp or something. Mm. There's some sense to it. There's an inherent logic to the idea that you want to maintain equilibrium if things go to shit at the start of an Ashes series, as it has done for both countries over the years. It just sounds dreadful after the fact when it actually sort of did happen. Now... I wonder whether, though, it does feed the narrative of that that, that that word again, that England did overthink things a wee bit at Brisbane, thus batting first when clearly they shouldn't have. Picking the wrong attack, overlooking Broad and Anderson, despite the fact that it rained two days before the Test match and the mm-hmm. pitch was under covers. And, you know, this idea that they've put so much thought into it, even the, the excellent BBC uh, documentary that we spoke to Tim Peach about last week on the program. It's been such a focus to get everything right, to cross every T, dot every I, that there may be a bit in their own heads to a certain extent, that, and, and that might be something that helps. All they've done is T's and I's and the rest of the page is blank. <laughs> no does that does that
0: make sense? Yeah, yeah, and I, I overthink is certainly something that, that, that could be applied, you know, you, that you can accuse this this England Brains Trust of doing. But like you, I don't. I mean, I don't have an issue with sitting there and, and sort of, you know, what, what do they call it, wargaming, is that right? Yeah, when kind of when you're mapping out various scenarios. That, that, yeah. that makes sense to me, right, as you say, because if disaster strikes early on, you want to be able to... Yeah. keep the place calm and things
3: like like football you know as your rules teams do that they go okay what if we're eight goals down at, at half time how do we respond you know, so that you're not freaked out mm. by that situation yeah. that and
0: that, and that's fine I think you're right I think the mistake is in saying it publicly and I suppose the justification there was to, was to sort of try and give the pretense that, you know, this, you know, it's nothing we didn't expect. Mm -hmm. We're kind of, we're prepared for all, we're prepared for all scenarios, etc. Yeah. Well, that's funny. I mean, it's been the sort of most lampooned line out of that press conference. I actually thought the bit that made me chuckle was when we were talking about no balls and the question was put to Chris Silverwood that, you know, the England one day team hadn't bowled, the one that won the World Cup, didn't bowl a a, a no ball for, for four years. And his response to that was, yes, but in in ODI cricket, that maybe is because in ODI cricket there's consequence. And I was thinking to myself, you're saying this, like two days after a guy has been bowled on 17 and gone on to make 94, that feels to me a bigger consequence than just a free hit, you know. Um, You know, and what, maximum seven runs or whatever it is, you know, off the the next delivery. So that was probably the more lampoonable line for me. Uh, But going back to your point, yeah, yeah, overthink is something that this team has been guilty. In the past, and not least when it comes to pink ball cricket, I'm, lo- I'm thinking back to the Ahmedabad Test when, when they spent. I mean, I, I, we weren't there. It was, it was one of the one of the tours we had to cover remotely. But I, in my head, they spent the lead up in the nets with the with the bigs, the seamers, all there whizzing this thing around in the air, thinking, "Well, I check this out." And possibly Jack Leach didn't have the sort of confidence to put his hand up and go, "Um, guys, it's it's weirdly sort of skidding on at times when you don't hit the seam, and you know, there's a and anyway, they like you played know, quick yeah, yeah, four quicks, yeah, possible. yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they ended Leech, up yeah. playing four quicks. In a two day one spinners with Akshay Patel. Yeah, and Joe Root took you know well, they five, they five eight. Leech. They didn't play a spinner, yeah, because Le- it, well, like, it was Root it, it was Leech and, Leech and, and it was Leach and Root. Yeah. But it was but, but essentially that it became fishing with dynamite for the spinners, <laughs> and I cannot believe that, you know, that they really got so carried away with it. And, you know, but there is something about the pink ball. England think it, it brings them into the game. But, you know, as I mean, we were talking about off air earlier that, um, you know, England have lost three away from home in pink ball cricket. And Australia, have, lost one. and Australia have never lost one eight from eight at home. So, um so yeah it's 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 the great level of it isn't
3: watching England bat I get frustrated not so much at the top of the order where you know your kind of burns and Hamid types are a bit ropey and and you you can expect that kind of fragility, but when you look in the middle and you know there's Pope there, such a talent, there's Butler, the kind of things he's been able to do, that match he won against Pakistan in the run chase mm. um last summer last year the things that Stokes has done and when it's those guys just getting nicked off for one and 13 and seven and being sort of pushed aside as easily as they were in Brisbane I mean that's what I find frustrating is that is that is it unreasonable because I'm expecting too much from players when when cricket you're more likely to fail than succeed or like why why is it that they're pushed aside like that when they're such talents.
0: Yeah. Uh, the one thing that I find, is, maybe this is the modern game the world over, but in, in white ball cricket they're queuing up to get near the top of the order, aren't they? they everyone wants to bat top three. T, T20 particularly, you just want to have the absolute maximum time against that hard new ball. The reverse applies in test cricket. They're all trying to get away from it. And England have been blessed in, in recent times with an abundance of, of sort of stroke-making talent from kind of four, five, down to seven. But what that talent requires is for the guys at the top to, you know, really, really hold together. But ultimately, they've got a number five now in David Milan, Crowbar in at number three. And he, there is he has a lot going for him, particularly out here where, the, you know, the conditions really suit him. But it is a kind of, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of an overpromotion. promotion he, he, He'd naturally be more of a middle-order player. And I just think that essentially, the longer they can keep those guys lower down, away from the, away from the new ball, the better chance they've got. And we saw in the first innings that when that doesn't happen, you know, teams can run through them like a dose of salts, essentially. But I think the biggest frustration is is probably. I would say that there's a lack of collective steel there at times. And just looking back to the English summer, there was the game at Lords and the game at the Oval, the the two India Test matches, and uh, actually probably the game at Edgbaston as well against New Zealand. But, But essentially situations where even though England were behind in the game, there was still a game to be saved or a game to be set up. And actually, as we mentioned earlier, the other day at Brisbane, if England had managed to get through to that second new ball, they could have possibly eked out a lead of 150 that perhaps gets your bowlers the opportunity to pull off a miracle. There is something there is something missing there in terms of that sort of, you know, solidity in that middle order. But again, it probably, I mean, part of it probably goes back to Ben Stokes at number five, and this is not a criticism of him, but they've pinned so much on a guy who spent, you know, four four months out of the game, uh, a four-month spell when he couldn't even physically grip the bat because of that finger injury. And Joe Root admitted to it in his press conference with us yesterday that he, he you know, they, they probably expected too much from him. But the amusing thing from that was that Joe Root said, "We expect too much of him. He's a superhero. You know, we need to, you know, we, we need to we need to manage that. But I'm sure he's going to put in a superhero performance at some point in this series." And you just think, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> "There you go. There's yeah. the, the expectation you're trying to play down is returned again." Yeah, so, guys
1: played one first-class game since March. Yeah. I mean, again, it's not it's not questioning his match-winning capacity. It's like, and of course he should oh. be playing,
3: but mm-hmm. he can't do that every second game. You know, he can do but that. Also, every 20th But, but also, game. No,
1: kind of nobody does like yeah. off off no prep. If you looked at it, if you graphed it and all the rest of it, nobody would be able to do what Ben Stokes can do at his best on mm. the sort of prep he's had. I'm not saying don't play him, but, Chris, what you're talking of there, what Root, so I didn't know Root said that, mm. that, is, that is not good management.
0: No, but it's interesting you use the word superhero because that's how, the, that's how England have worked in recent yeah. times. So it is superhero theory. Yeah. It's the hope that two or three guys will come off and that is enough to get your team over the line. And that works in 50 over cricket. And that four-year spell leading up to that World Cup, they had guys from one to seven all with the ability to hit 50 ball hundreds. And so it only took two or three off with Joe Root as the one sort of, you know, clutch guy yeah. at number three who could bat through the innings. That crucial seven off 30 in the World Cup final. Yeah, well... <laughs> all right. Um, but... played his role at different times during the tournament. And, uh, still engraved with the word England on it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, so that was... A, that, superhero theory is a big part of that. But it doesn't work in test cricket. You need a lot more solidity there. And, but the, 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 the basic facts of it are is that ever since Joe Root made his debut in 2012 in Nagpur, the number of batsmen to have made their debut subsequently and average over 40 is zero. He's the only one. Yikes. It's a fairly
1: brutal set of numbers. It's a fairly brutal uh, equation for England here. I'm not going to start sort of getting stuck in down the five nil wormhole or anything like that. But you've been on these tours before, Ali, when they don't start well, and and it's very difficult to arrest. it. I mean, we know how difficult it's been for England to win after losing the first test in these series, and you don't want to invest too much in what's happened before. And I'm sure that's part of the, you know, the conference centre Silverwood story from mm-hmm. uh, the winter, well, from the Australian winter, rather, when they, they were planning for this series. But uh, if they start poorly here. I mean, they can't afford to start poorly here. They can't afford not to play, really, what we discussed earlier, their best bowlers. Imagine if they don't play Anderson and Broad. I know they will, but if they weren't to, Mm. let's say Broad misses out and they have a bad first day or bad first couple of days here. I mean... It would be it would be seen as a cataclysmic failure of planning uh, if they went two nil down here, not having uh, given uh, their two most seasoned bowlers an opportunity, uh, and and that'll and that'll be reflected across the team. Like they've they've got to find a way here, or they're stuffed.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and, and it, having invested so much headspace in this tour for two two years, you, you you know you you would fear about the kind of heads dropping at that uh, at that point because you know it, it's it's funny to have a sort of crunch game, second second test of a series, but history tells you that only one team has ever come back from 2-0 down to win a national yeah. series and they had a guy called don bradman in the team you know <laughs> and they had to make a couple uh, of double tests. yeah yeah it was quite yeah. a good player yeah. and they were playing at home as well so you know history you know yeah. really does reflect that and and particularly these tours which are so crunched down we've got what is it five tests in 42 days yep. the moment you're right the momentum could you know australia could surge at that point and that's got to be a concern for England. So, you know, we're, as I say, second test of the series, and we're already in must win territory for England. Yes.
3: Ellie uh, Martin, thank you very much for dropping in to join us on The Final Word.
0: Cheers, gents. Always good to speak to you. Hi,
3: I'm Isha Gua, and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Levin.
0: Thanks again
3: to Ellie for joining the show. Right, Adam. Now it is time for a little game. A little game. ...that we like to call... ...let's ring this out around the Adelaide Oval... ...Nerd
1: Pledge! Nerd Pledge, yes. There are going to be a lot of colleagues in the other broadcast boxes... ...wondering what the fuck mm -hmm. you're on about...
3: ...but mm
0: -hmm.
1: that's
3: okay. Yep, there often are people wondering what I'm on about... ...wherever I'm recording this show... ...when I do that (laughs) bit. It's a game, it's a game we play with the people on our Patreon page... ...here's how it works. They fund the show. They are the reason this show exists... ...and they do it by sending us financial contributions... ...but instead of sending us round numbers normal denominations of currency like you would get on a coin or a note they'll send us a very specific number and we have to work out what that number's link to cricket is because there will be one. For instance, Mark Davies is our nerd pledger on this week's show. He is sent through in British Pounds 459
1: so 4.59 And the beauty of this number is it is clueless in that it? it gives mm. you Jeff and you've got to solve this for, well at least you are given an option for it. The clues are getting, strange Stranger, and they could be tough to solve. Not a problem, mm-hmm. just you know, time consuming. Mm-hmm. This busy week for us, no clue, easier for you. Can't wait to see what you found. I will note on the way through though that 459 is the uh, cap number of Cameron Green. His was the most recent before Will Pukowski, who was 460 at Sydney last year, and of course, Alex Carey was 461 uh, at Brisbane last week. But when we were in Adelaide last year, I suppose. When we were mm-hmm. last year is when Cameron Green made his bow and received cap 459. So we'll, the, the bidding starts there. Yes.
3: Do you make a bow or do you make a bow? I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that phrase before and now I'm not sure which. Would it, well, would yeah, it be it, like if you come on stage and you make a it's bow? It's interesting, right,
1: because it would stand to reason that it would be the latter, but I've yeah. only ever heard it said as make their bow. Huh.
3: Yeah, Might I've that no mean idea.
1: making their, as in like tying, like tying the tying bow, it off. tying it off? Hmm. Let us know on the Discord page or on Patreon. (laughs) I'm sure someone, a linguistic specialist, will will be living on there and give us the etymology of uh, making their bow slash bow. Or could it be make a bow as in a -A B-E-A-U? Make me beautiful. (laughs) Make me bow. Uh,
3: Right, 4.59 for Mark Davies. Look, it was very nearly, Adam, VVS Laxman's test average was 45.97. Mm-hmm. So if you were going to round it, you'd have to round it up. But if you just chopped right. off the f- second decimal, it could be four five nine. Um, obviously, VVS Laxman has a strong link to Adelaide Oval. Yes. You would remember his, his great day out here in 2003. Yes,
1: when I think Adelaide Oval, I think Roger Hartigan. Mm-hmm. I think VVS Laxman. And I think Malcolm Blight. Yep. And you think Clem Hill. And I think Clem Hill. Mm-hmm. That's my ultimate dream dinner <laughs> yes, party. Tinder, <laughs> Clem Hill giving it what for? Yeah. Malcolm Platt smoking 30 cigarettes and drinking 30 beers and yeah. telling us about the 1975 grand final. Uh-huh. And VVS Latchman talking yep. about 2003-04 out here. Mm-hmm. And who was the first person? Roger, Roger Hardigan. Hardigan we'll, we'll exhume Roger Hardigan, uh, the great Queenslander, to tell us all about his one innings here and how he managed to get a test to Queensland in 1928 where Bradman debuted at the Ecker. All of those things can be discussed at our dinner. If
3: he were around today, his nickname would be Viagra. Roger (laughs) Hardigan.
1: (laughs) 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 Were you thinking that last night and just didn't go with it? No, I just, I, I just obviously, obviously, I would have said it
3: at a live show if I thought of it, but but no, it just, it just came up, so to speak. Um, right, so so look, it could be VBS, but I'd be interpreting the number slightly cheekily 45.97, um, worth thinking about. Mark, if you want me to talk about VBS Laxman more on the show, I will, so I'll just put that out there. Could also be Belinda Clark, forty five point nine five. Now I've completely blanked on what you do. How do you round that? Do you round that up or down? No, do that's round rounded five, up, I'm
1: afraid. Yeah. If Forty nine point five nine doesn't work. So five,
3: six, seven, eight, and nine get rounded up. They do, and then one, two, three, and zero, 4 get rounded. Yeah, well, they two, do. Three, so four. it's get not going
1: to be Belinda Clark unless Mark Davies has a similar challenge with rounding as you
3: mm-hmm. clearly do. Yeah, well, it's just the five. I know all the others, but I'm like, what do you do when it's in the yeah, middle? Five goes up. Five goes up. Okay, all right, good to know. So Belinda Clark did make a couple of tons in 15 tests, but I doubt that a British Pledger would be going for Belinda Clark. Uh, they might if they just wanted to glory in Australia losing a test match. Be referred. To the MCG, uh, 2008 oh game when Dale Stane made oh all gosh, the runs. Gosh, I have down a dreadful memory
1: of that day. 459, yeah. So, 2008 was my first year working for Kevin Rudd. Mm-hmm. My first full year. I'd started working for him in 07, but oh wait, was. It was a hell of a year. I mean, it was just for me. It was a lot of lot going on. Yeah. Learning how to be live working in the environment where you're expected to pretty much live at work.
3: The year didn't rhyme with his name, so the
1: honeymoon was over. No, that's right. It wasn't George Spade 08 as I was advocating in Fiji. Um, it, 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 Kevin 07 has gone though. No, no Spade 08 would have been. I would have made the t-shirts for them um, and. It, I mean, it was just... Between
3: Kevin 07 and the Quiney 9.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I I just didn't see the sun, really, for um, the better part of 12 months. Mm. Very rarely. I spent a bit of time abroad with him, but it wasn't like at you know... Yes, I I wasn't kind of uh, heading out to the beach or anything like Mm. that. So this particular day, I was in Melbourne. I was back in my old flat where I used to live, by that point staying on a friend's couch. And I thought, I'm going to go to the MCG today, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to take my shirt off, and I'm going to put the radio on, and I'm just going to sit there, and I'm going to lap it all up. It was 38 degrees. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, a bit of sunburn. It'll become suntan. No big deal. I'm used to this. I hadn't been outside for a year really and I was so sunburnt, I was so broken that I wore a white T-shirt on New Year's Eve that year and it pretty much came through, pink through the shirt. I should have gone to hospital and for about a year later, you know that thing with your stomach when you hunch over, mm-hmm. you get a tan mark from where the folds are? Yep. I had, from where I'd been folded over with a, with a book listening to the cricket, I had a white fold mark there which lasted for 12 months where the rest of the skin never quite recovered. <laughs> So, yes, I do remember when Dale Stone made 76 and J.P. Duminy made an extraordinary century at the MCG in 2008. J.P. Duminy
3: too, because as we found out, there was another J.P. Duminy who played for South Africa in the 1920s. Um, not the same one, remarkably, unless he's like Eugene Toombs or something from the X-Files and just like, goes into hibernation for 30-odd years and then eats some livers and uh, you know goes back to sleep again. Anyway. It's probably not that, but I was trying to find an England link to 459 and then I realised, of course, 459 is what England made in the Laker match, which we talked about only a couple of weeks ago on Storytime. So when old Jim Laker takes 19 wickets in the game, England have batted first the Reverend David Shepherd. Made 113. Peter Richardson... Didn't
1: care about one one. the reverend. No, nah, didn't care.
3: It just kept Both going. feet on the ground. Both feet on the ground. Kept going. Peter Richardson didn't get there, but got 104. Colin Cowdrey made 80. You know, pretty handy total, but it looks like a very good total when you bowl out Australia for 84, make them follow on and roll them again for 205. So uh, that's what set up the most dramatic uh, set of match bowling figures in the history of the game.
1: I feel like alongside the centenary test that 1956 at Old Trafford... We've mentioned a lot in the last mm-hmm. three or four months on on Storytime and when going through Nerd Pledge on the on the weekly show. Uh, I wonder what is, if that's in number two. I think Centenary says is number one in terms of mi- name checks. That might be number two. I wonder what mm-hmm. else sits in the top five. Mm-hmm. One again for the Discord, maybe. Uh, yeah. w- what have we come back to time and time again? Uh probably Calcutta two
3: thousand and one. Calcutta, maybe yeah. Adelaide 03 Get gets a you know, quite yeah. a lot of runs. 19th, Melbourne
1: nineteen thirty seven. Melbourne
3: thirty seven. Yeah, yeah. There are. Off the top of my head, that's where we're going. Uh, Mark Davies, guess what? I'm going to guess that you live in Britain, so this may not be a great use to you personally, but you get to give someone in Australia... A slab of Brick Lane beer. This is what happens when you win Nerd Pledge. You get to give the gift of giving. Uh, You get to give away a slab. If you're in Australia, you can give it away to yourself. Uh, But you have to be in Australia to get it. So you can come here and get it if you want to. But if you can't, you must know somebody. You must know one person in Australia who you like. There must be somebody. And you can can send this on to them, Mark, uh, from bricklanebrewing.com who sponsor our show.
1: And if you're listening to this and you haven't just uh, been the beneficiary of a, of a slab of beer, you can buy slabs with a 15% discount oh, yeah. all the way through to Christmas, thanks to thanks to your relationship with us here mm-hmm. on The Final Word. All you need to do uh, bricklanebrewing.com and punch in the code MARSH182 which reflects the highest score that Shaw Marsh made in, in Test cricket. Mm-hmm. Not his finest innings, that was here of course in, mm-hmm. in 2017, but 18 months earlier, or t- nearly two years earlier, uh, at at Hobart he made uh, 182 batting with Adam Voges, just putting on 449 449 very good jeff and that is the number we picked for the mm-hmm. 15% discount. Who is giving a discount on beer at Christmas? Well, we are at the final word in conjunction with Brick Lane. Uh, so do the right thing, jump on there, support a brewery who support local jobs, who support the environment with the, their practices, who have been very successful in a number of competitions recently with the beers that they're making. Uh, find supporters of what we're doing and we'll have a lot more to do with them uh, through the summer when we're able to, to gather in a couple of their establishments in Melbourne and Sydney.
3: And if you don't Want to get on the boost? They've got a 1.1% hazy pale ale, which I sampled on the weekend, which is quite delicious. So, Excellent. You know,
1: hot tip. It uh, all
3: makes sense. Heaps of different, yeah, Belgian beers, darks, stouts, red ales, the works. So go and have a look on their website and see what they've got. That's for you, Mark. Right. Middle of the show. Let's take a break. And uh, then we'll do a couple of other bits in the second half.
1: Hi, I'm Matt Renshaw, and you're listening to the Final Word podcast. Wisden Cricket Monthly is the best cricket magazine in the world. Mm -hmm. That you know. If you're a listener to our show, you won't be under any misapprehension around that fundamental tenant. They're the best cricket mag in the world. And because they want more people to find them, understandably, if you make something good, Mm -hmm. you want more people to find it. One way of doing that is, on occasion, giving it away for nothing. And what they've done, cleverly, I think, is brought together some of their best Ashes writing ever in the magazine in addition to some new excellent Ashes writing. and they've made an Ashes special for people love the Ashes. We love the Ashes. Uh, the greatest rivalry in the game. The greatest oh, rivalry the greatest in world rivalry. sport, it's allegedly. World sport. Oh. In the greatest rivalry. Super classico. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Piss off of... Pakistan and India. It's yeah. all about the Ashes.
3: Oh, Bocker Juniors and River Plate. No, <laughs> no, get out of here. It's all about the oldest, well, I mean, the oldest rivalry is probably like the Egyptians and the Phoenicians or something. But you know, they don't they don't get on the park very often. Uh,
1: the point like. here is is that uh, assembling all this wonderful writing, mm-hmm. people have a thirst for it uh, yeah. during an Ashes series. They come from Greece. They have a thirst for cricket writing, and this this they thing, studied sculpture at yeah. Sir Martin's College. That's yeah. when you yeah. caught her eye. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah. But college doesn't rhyme with cricket writing, so we're going to have to work on that one. But this is like a hundred pages of stuff. Hundred yes. pages of free. Uh, digital magazine, so you can just get it sent to your phone, computer, tablet, whatever. You don't have to go and get it. You don't have to obtain it, and you don't have to pay for
1: it. This could not be any easier. Absolutely. It fits very neatly on the Gary Ablett. <laughs> I, I, I know that. I I am a user of the tablet to read Whistle Cricket monthly, any old time, uh-huh. any old month. Any old month. Any old month. Once a month. Once a month. Mm. 13 times a year, but once a month, you do the maths. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's 12 times a year. I think it's 12. I think it's 12 times a year. (laughs) it's typically 12. (laughs) It's 12 times a year. 13 because of this, though.
3: There are 13 lunar cycles in the year, but it's not wisdom cricket lunar cycle monthly.
1: (laughs) But uh, this is the 13th, you're right. It's the tides of time. Um, This is the 13th, and it's lucky 13 for you because you can can pick it up for nothing. The way you do it is uh, pktmags.com forward slash tfwpod. Now, that's all in the show notes pktmagscom forward slash T-F-W-P-O-D If you click that link, you'll be sent through to a page where you'll pop Mm -hmm. in your details. Very straightforward. Mm -hmm. And for that, you will get access to this magazine Mm -hmm. and then that will be your gateway. Uh, That will be your way in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You'll be part of the family at Wisdom Cricket Monthly. Uh, They they love their subscribers. They treat them well. They're forever giving them discounts and gifts and other bits and pieces along the way. But you'll start with Something for nothing. And Mm -hmm. at this time of year, something for nothing is a rarity. So
3: it's got all the stories of the Ashes, all the comebacks, all the last-minute changes, the scandals, the resignations, the baying of the press pack, uh, the statistical breakdowns, interviews with key players. Ciapelli's in there. Botham's in there. Stuff about Steve Smith. uh, Lots of good writers. Adam Collins is in there. I'm in there. Tom Holland's in there. Sam Perry's in there. Ellie Mitchell, Tim Key, Rob Smythe,
1: Felix White. Almost all of them who've been on this show. So we can... I think everybody on that list... Hang on, let's go through it. I've been on the show. Tom's been on the show. Sam's Been on the... Been
3: on the show. I don't know. Maybe we've just heard his own show so much that we think he has. Surely Sam at some point, has guested here. I, I we, we've it. been on their show, but I don't know if they've been on
1: our show. Anyway, we'll, we'll work on that. If okay. he hasn't, we'll get him on at some stage. Alison Mitchell's been on the show. Tim Key hasn't, but I play football mm-hmm. with him on a Friday night. Rob Smythe has, and, Felix, uh, and White. Felix White, of course, has a number of times. times. Yeah. So, yeah, I like this. This, okay. is, this feels very final wordish. So, look, it's a free thing. Go
3: and get it. Uh, if you do that, it will help us because they'll be happy that you went and got it. And also it will help you because you will get a fun free publication to read. And then if you like it, you can subscribe to the magazine uh, in an ongoing way. That's how it goes. Uh, it's Swiss Cricket Monthly. It's their Ashes special for The Final Word.
0: Hi, I'm Ebony Rainford-Brent and you're listening to The Final Word with
2: Adam Collins and Jeff Lemmon.
3: This is the final word, Cricket Podcast. Uh, Just uh, a a little look around the world at what's going on in a couple of the other cricketing countries. We know we've been very Ashes-centric for the last few weeks and we feel the burden of that, but it's also quite hard to avoid it. But it's, it's also hard to avoid the fact that Firat Kohli is not the one-day captain of India anymore. Now, this is this is curious the way this story has unfolded. So we talked about on the show a few weeks ago when he decided to resign as the T20 captain and as the captain of his team in the IPL, saying specifically that it would give him more longevity and let him concentrate on being the test and one day captain because it was too much trying to juggle all of those jobs. That seemed to make sense. It seemed to make sense putting Rohit Sharma in as the T20 captain because he's been so successful with Mumbai Indians in, in the IPL and, you know, senior player in that team and why not let him run the T20 side? There was also, a, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be impossible to think that maybe Coley would slip out of that T20 side over the next couple of years if you wanted to try to keep trimming that workload down. But they've now punted him from the 50-over job.
1: Yeah, this was really odd uh, because Coley, when giving up the T20 captaincy, he talked about his interest, well, not his interest, his, his determination to mm. lead the test and one-day team yep. for the foreseeable future. Not forever, but, you know, he wasn't ready to hand over two of them. I he was did, handing over one the of them. The
3: assumption was he'd, he'd stay in that job until the 50-over World Cup, yeah. which is in India.
1: And in- he kind of said it expressly. So when the BCCI popped out a tweet in very sort of blunt terms mm. that he was no longer the captain and Rohit Sharma was. Well, it they didn't even me mention that. him. They just said Rohit yeah, Sharma is now the captain. He's now the captain. It reminded me of that meme of, uh, of the of the two friends, like, you know, yeah. no longer my no best longer friend. best friend. <laughs> New best friend. It's like, it
3: had that energy around it. Although that did end up with all three of them being best friends together, so, you know. Oh, is that I the postscript wonder, in there? That? Yeah, that's, that's, where it, that's where it finished
1: Oh, up. really? Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah, there's that's a happy really ending nice. to that story. There yeah. aren't many happy endings no. on Twitter, but... No. Well... Uh, maybe games. there are. Um, um, the, 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 no, but Rohit becoming captain makes a lot of sense, given he's already going to be leading the, mm. the T20 team. But, yeah, you're right. The timing's a bit odd, given the next World Cup is in India in 18 months' time. Mm-hmm. I think it's March 2023. And, and obviously
3: that's a major prestige thing, to be leading the team in that tournament. And that was Coley's expectation, was that he would be doing it. Now the, oh. the, To do as Dhoni did. Yeah, the... the, the Word from the Indian selectors, and Suraf Ganguly, who heads the BCCI, is saying that he, he asked Coley not to give up the T20 captaincy in person. But when Coley insisted that he would, they said, well, then you can't be 50 over captain either. We we can't have two white ball captains, which does make me wonder why. I mean, they're different formats. That's the point. They're not the same. The yeah. demands are different. They're not just versions of each other. Uh, teams play a lot more one day cricket than they play T20 international cricket as well. Um, there's been a lot more T20 cricket in the last year or so because of those World Cups. But, and the, you know, the other one coming up this Sort of in less than a year's time. But generally speaking, you play fewer T20 internationals than you do 50 over games. Right. What's. Why have this bug up their ass about having to have the same captain for both?
1: Yeah, and I wonder whether this is just fueled by the idea that Coley hasn't been. Uh, has, hasn't raised his bat for three figures in one-day cricket for over two years. I mean, it mm. shouldn't. He's had a fine run, just not making hundreds, yeah. right? I mean, you've documented this in, in a well, piece he's you he's also wrote.
3: got the biggest winning percentage of any Indian captain in one-day cricket.
1: Yeah, 68% winning percentage in one-day cricket. It's it, it's in excess of what Dhoni was able to record mm. and and all of those that preceded him. So that's odd as well. And yeah, uh, we already mentioned the World Cup that's coming up. I suppose there'll now be endless speculation about a rift between Coley and Rowett <laughs> and the board and Coley and, and all the rest yep. of it will go through this We'll go through this dance. For- and that
3: was exacerbated. because So Rowett's missing the test series coming up against South Africa because he's apparently done a hamstring. Um, and Coley was there was speculation that he wouldn't play the one dayers after that but he is going to play those one dayers right. Rohit's supposed to be fit by then to he's captain. He's meant to them. take
1: over then isn't he in South Africa that's meant to be his first run out as captain That's and
3: Rohit. Rohit Sharma's first. Yeah, pro- yeah providing he's fit but maybe his hamstring might be right. And, and then ready there's Kohli captain can, in his absence. Presumably, yeah Kohli <laughs> has to carry on but Rohit's not playing the tests and so that was definitely being spun in India as as though you know um Rohit was was dodging the test series in order to not play under Kohli or something. I mean it it's it's the kind of bullshit you get from media.
1: Orgs um, around Indian cricketers. I thought Harsha made a good point in, in all of this, noting that like a player as proud as Kohli, this is going to leave a bit of a mark mm. for him. It's not. I mean, he has been, and again, this goes back to work you've done before, Jeff. He has been the most prolific one-day batsman of all time, yeah, by any yardstick, any meaningful yardstick. I mean, I know that he hasn't got as many one-day centuries as Sachin yet, but he will in the fullness of time, provided all things play out the way we expect they well, he's will. He's very close. He's, he's got already 40, close.
3: What forty? Four forty-five, 45? S- something like I that. I mean, he's almost levelled him already and he yeah. could play for another six years.
1: E- exactly right. And, and of course, he was a world champion under Dhoni in 2011 as well. Yes, they get bundled out in the semifinals at the 2019 competition. Sure, they didn't win the Champions Trophy uh, in 2017, despite them going into the final as raging hot favourites undefeated to that stage of the competition. But yeah, it, 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 it took me by surprise. And mm. if there is more to it than that. If there is some internal rift that Collie's in the middle of, um, that would be strange because it felt for such a long time as though he was the man who really held the cards and held the power in Indian cricket. And if it's not quite as clear as that... And and what does this mean for that? What does that mean for that? Yeah, it'll mean an interesting transition period. Is he
3: sort of hobbled if he's only the test captain? The fact that test cricket's been given so much primacy by the Indian board is largely because Coley
1: because him. rates test cricket. Well, Coley always says the most important form yeah. of the game, despite the fact that he's made his money mm. and made his riches in the IPL yeah. and through the, the shorter forms, he, he never resolves from his yeah. key point on that is that, no, 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 what matters most to me is test cricket.
3: So if he's only running the test team, does that mean that test cricket gets seen as less important because it becomes his fiefdom that he has a vested interest in promoting
1: watch this Mm. space, I think, on that one. Uh, The the other, uh, the shortest form of the game uh, is where uh, the West Indies are playing Pakistan in Karachi at the moment. It's a series of three T20s and three one-day internationals. Uh, The first T20, Pakistan made 200 for six, and the West Indies were all out for 137 in 19 overs. Rizwan top-scoring yet again with 78, more on him in a bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second game, Pakistan made 172 for eight. Rizwan again top-scoring, this time just with 38, a more even effort across the board there in the second game. Uh, The West Indies made a better go of it, but were still bowled out uh, for 163, so uh, Pakistan lead that series uh, 2-0, Shaheen Shah Afridi took a 3 for and Brandon King top-scored for the Windies in the second game, making 67 from 43, but Rizwan... All about Rizwan. I mean, across all T20s this year, we'll we'll do all T20s, then we'll do international T20s, right? All T20s, he's made 1,949 runs at 56 in 47 matches. That's the most all-time. Second most all-time time is Barbara's arm also in 2021 mm-hmm. he's made even 1700 runs at 47 in 45 matches and before that's to put it in some perspective Chris Gale made 1665 right. uh, in 2015 uh, at a higher average and a higher strike rate uh, and, and in fewer games that was the standout year and yeah. until now but and it's extrapolated uh, across the international game where his figures are, are better yet again
3: right so international cricket in international T20s, Rizwan's made what 1,239 runs this year at 73, the most prolific year by anyone in that format. I mean, that's extraordinary. I think the previous best was, what, 700
1: or something? Yeah, the it's, p- previous best was Paul Sterling, who made 748 runs right. in 2019, albeit only in yeah. 20 games, whereas Rizwan's played uh, 28, I think it is, yeah. and Barbara arms also second on that list too. So they've quenelled mm. uh, all-time uh, best T20 year and all-time best T20 incident national year for runs and they've still got one more game of course too yeah one more innings to go so you know could could top the 2000
3: mark Rizwan with another 51 it's curious I mean they didn't win the T20 World Cup this year but it's just been such a delight of a year for it feels like every time I've switched on a television Mohamed Rizwan's been there opening the batting making another big score and just looking like he's having the most fun
1: in the world just as we get to the end of the podcast, you can hear in the background we've got the ground announcer about to rehearse the formalities uh, before the toss tomorrow. I suppose if we keep recording for about five minutes, we'll hear Don Bradman's great granddaughter belt out the national anthem. She usually uh, gets the honours uh, here at Adelaide Oval, but that might be our cue, Jeff, to, to wind so. things up. Uh, thanks to everybody again who came out to our live show at Adelaide last night, and anyone that's bought tickets for Melbourne. Uh, tickets on sale for Sydney, hopefully uh, in the next couple of days to all of our patrons, patreon.com forward slash the final word. A great time to get involved with the Brick Lane offer. Um, if you love good cricket writing, Wisden Cricket Monthly, the best cricket mag in the world. Uh, the free Ashes special out at the moment. Please click on that in the show notes. Please download that magazine and, and get a bit of a taste of the sort of writing uh, you can get if you become a full-time subscriber. Thanks to Brick Lane who uh, are looking after us uh, all through the summer. 15% discount by pumping in Marsh 182 into the offer code. 15% off beer in December. That's crazy. And thanks to them for uh, letting us have that great offer with us. And, Jeff, uh, to all the team... That's that's not James Sherry out there doing that. That's not James Sherry. I don't think so. That's not James Sherry. If James Sherry's been replaced, I'll fucking kick off. I hope this is just a a mock rehearsal and James Sherry only shows up for the real rehearsal tomorrow morning. Yeah, James Sherry doesn't
3: need a rehearsal.
1: Uh, James Sherry doesn't need any warm-up games. Last but not least, uh, our thanks to Bad Producer Productions, Jay Mueller and Astrid Edwards, and our editor, Dave Collins, and everybody for listening and contributing to the Discord page and all of the beautiful people that uh, make what we do so rewarding. This has been The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon reunited in Adelaide. We'll be together for the rest of the summer. We can't wait. See ya. I had to go about it.
2: Thanks for listening to the Final Word Cricket Podcast. All of Adam and Jeff's previous episodes are available at FinalWordCricket.com, including Storytime 20. That's 40 story times ago. 40. Almost a year's worth of nerd pledge. Why Storytime 20? Because it features comedian Will Anderson. It's a great chat. I think you're going to love it. FinalWordCricket.com for all things Final Word. And thanks, once again, to our friends at Brick Lane Brewing. Shop online at BrickLaneBrewing.com. Thanks for listening. More from Adam and Jeff real soon.